everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, and today I am delighted to be joined by a very, very special guest, Sarah Kawahara, who, well has done a million amazing things in her life, but among those, uh, winning Emmys for choreographing the uh, Salt Lake 2002 uh, ice on the opening and closing ceremony. And, uh, well, I guess opening ceremony, right? And has been inducted in the US and the Canadian and the World Figure Skating Halls of Fame and done a million other things. Well, I'm just gonna get down to it. Sarah, thank you so much for joining. How are you? I'm great, Christian. So nice to be with you. Well, it's a it's an honor to have you on our humble little podcast to add to our little tapestry of memories of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter Games. But before we get to those games, I'd like to spend a little bit of time, if it's okay, just to, to talk a little bit about what you're currently up to these days with all of this COVID craziness and everything else going on. Uh, what kinds of interesting projects are you working on? Where are you currently working? Uh, what is it that you're doing? Well, with the coming of COVID, I just really uh, dug back into my roots and um, got back into watercolor painting and pastel work. Um, I'm an impressionist and truly I haven't uh, done much work since high school, I would say, but it's something that I've dabbled in on and off. Uh, and uh, so I've, I've, done quite a few paintings and, and uh, pastel pieces. They're all mostly landscapes. And um, and then I've gotten back into playing the piano. I uh, played classical piano from when I was a child and Beethoven is my favorite. And I still have my old uh, notes, notebooks from, from having lessons as a child. So it's fun to uh, go back in time and get better at it. Wow. Well, you're incredibly talented. That is amazing. So did you have a favorite symphony or movement or or piece that Beethoven composed that you enjoy playing? I uh, play Beethoven's Rondo um, Opus Number 1. And um, uh, gosh, I, I know it like the back of my hand, but it's still I can still never play it flawlessly all the way through from start to finish. It's a seven minute piece. And by golly, I don't know what it's going to take for me to be able to do that, but I'm still working at it. Wow. Well, kudos to you for doing that. I don't know if I could do anything flawlessly for seven minutes, uh, much less, uh, uh, you know, play music of, the, of that complexity. But that, that, that's totally amazing. It's funny. I just talked to my mother this morning and she uh, last week went and bought some acrylic paints and and she started painting again after many, many years. So uh, maybe that it, that's just something that we do. We kind of return to things that bring us joy and happiness that maybe we haven't, uh, we haven't visited for a very long time when these crazy, crazy pandemics hit us. Well, I really miss color and movement um, because that is so much a part of uh, choreographing for me. And uh, so I think painting and pastel work uh, brought that, brings that to me. And I love the movement that I can create uh, with it, with those mediums. Is that why you were so attracted to figure skating? Because it does seem like an interesting combination of color and movement, like you said, 
and a technical skill, which you currently have from your classical piano background as well. And then the music, right? It's a it's a real uh, melange of of all those areas of, of, of art and um, skating is. And I think that as a child, I first started um, dancing, um, little ballerina, you know. <laughs> um, and then I got into drama, and then I got into piano, and um, and then I did as as a child, I I was a good uh, I could draw, I could draw well. So um, so those things all kind of grew. All the the, uh, the seeds were sown from that time, and they all kind of grew together. I think. How did you end up settling on figure skating? Because you could have gone in any number of directions artistically. Uh, what was it about figure skating that really drew you in and made you decide or helped you decide? You know, this is what I want to do for my career. I really want to go this uh, with the skating. I love the speed, and I love the thrill of jumping. Um, I remember being in class and I was in the National Ballet School in Toronto, Canada. And, um, and we used to do our sautés and um, I just loved the feeling of being able to jump, oddly enough, because later in life, as I developed as a skater, jumping did, was not my forte. It was the artistry area and the movement and the dance um, movement that became my forte. but. Uh, but in the beginning, I was uh, charged with the fact that you could really jump and you could get speed when you skated. When did you make the transition? I know I'm going off script here, but I just I'm so curious about this. When did you make the transition from being a performer to a director and choreographer? I mean, certainly the skills are complementary, but there are some people who are excellent performers may not be great coaches or choreographers. So how did you make that transition from being a performer to saying, all right, uh, I'm now going to, I'm going to create this art that you, the skater, is going to paint for me? Well, um, I loved performing. I, it was like air to breathe and food to eat for me. I, I was a principal in the escapades for many years and I just loved it. I was not a champion. I was a nobody, um, but I was a artistic skater and I could do character work and I was good at like humor. So I had versatility and, and I was exotic, so to speak, being Japanese. Um, uh, but then, you know, I, I got to the point where I thought, well, where can I go from here? And I really uh, was a major part of of uh, creating my pieces uh, each year in the escapades. I worked with my my coach from childhood, Osborne Coulson. I Every year between seasons, I would go back to him and I would work with him on the, what the new pieces were going to be. Um, the escapades uh, director, producer, um, Bob Turk, would give me the music in advance and he'd let me go. He said, go, come back, present it, and we'll see. So we would work together, and that was really part of, of my training to, to create, start creating pieces. Um, and I, uh, I loved it. I really, really loved it. So when it came to the point in my uh, performing career where I thought, well, where, 
else can I go? And I didn't want to be one of those performers that, that started to go downhill but was still there kind of thing. I had seen a lot of that. So I really thought um, perhaps, you know, creating for others would be my way of carrying it on. Um, but Bob Turk was not ready to let me uh, go as a performer. And he, he said to me, you know, your style is so unique. I don't know that you'll ever be able to translate that to other people, other body types uh, with different strengths. And I thought, well, you know, I was hurt, but that was a point well taken. And I thought, I can do that. I knew I could teach it. I could break it down. I could break down my vision and teach it. And uh, so I left. I left the ice cubes <laughs> and I went out into the world and I started to choreograph uh, for individuals. And then I got very lucky and uh, Peggy Fleming was looking for a new choreographer. Um, and she was going to guest star in the ice capades, so it was very close to home for me. And she approached me, and I did a piece for her, and that led to um, doing choreographing for her for her nightclub show in Harris Lake Tahoe, and then from there uh, to Radio City Music Hall, where I choreographed a huge production called um, Ice, a Symphony of, of Skates. Um, and that was really my beginning as as a choreographer it was it was pretty much of a catapult out of the gate but i was ready i was hungry and i was ready and i had a lot to say so <laughs> that's how i made that transition wow well let's talk about transition some more a little bit then let's talk about the transition to salt lake so you've got a nice career going and you're you're choreographing for all kinds of uh skaters, you, you Scott Hamilton among them, then there's an opportunity in Salt Lake. So how did you, how did you end up getting involved in the Salt Lake 2002 games? Well, um, actually I, I had a manager at the time, um, Phyllis Rabb, and she called me and, and said that they were looking for a choreographer because their, their main stage was going to be ice. And, um, so she got me an interview with, uh, Kenny Ortega and Kenny had looked at my my reel and also had seen my television special for Michelle Kwan um, uh, on, on Mulan. Mulan the movie at the time was just getting ready to be released and she did the um, television special for Disney uh, of which I choreographed. And in that, um, I did a piece where um, I lit the ice up in, with a ring, a skater created a ring of fire, and um, he wanted to know how I did that. And I said, well, it was really very simple. Um, it was very simple, and actually, if you wanted to, you could do you could do the rings that way if you wanted to. And I mean, I just said it off the top of my head because it was true. I really thought that it was very uh, low tech. Uh, technique but it was based on a compass and uh you know it's 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 all possible so i think that kind of that got me the job <laughs> i think So now 
probably know how the rings came to be. It was you talking with Kenny Ortega. So why don't you tell us when this happened? I mean, when did this uh, conversation take place and when did you finally come on board uh, to work for the Salt Lake Organizing Committee? It was about a, a year and a half prior uh, to the actual event. And um, um, at first, uh, they brought me in and, and I, it was the most amazing uh, project you could ever possibly imagine. And, and the magnitude of it was um, not to be believed, <laughs> really. <laughs> so it was, it was very, very, very layered. Um, the, the subject of the rings did not come up until I was well, well into the project because first we had to jump over, um, um, over the hoops of casting it, and how many, uh, and how many volunteer uh, skaters could we get? And um, so I went to Salt Lake four times, four times, and did auditions, and. Um, it was an amazing process. I, I had never worked with a, a volunteer com community um, in this in this way and in this magnitude. So it was very enlightening and uh, you know really touched my life forever. All right. Well, I want to dig into this a little bit more. You come on board. You're asked to basically craft this portion of a program that's going to be happening on ice. Aside from rings that came about later, but it's an iconic image. I mean, everybody has seen those rings on fire on the ice. What was the process that you and your colleagues there in the ceremonies department and with the production team, you know, how did you come about the concept for the program itself? Well, the concept of uh, Light the Fire Within uh, was already in place when I was brought on board. And they had a script finely tuned script that we continued to uh, examine under a microscope because this is a one-off event and you want to make sure that um, it, you are getting the maximum the maximum for the um, billions of people that are going to be watching it uh, globally and Don Misher uh, with all of his, his experience um, and his Emmy Awards uh, really, uh, really focused majorly on are we getting the most out of this moment? I mean, just when you thought you had the, had the sequence down, it was like, but can it be better? How much better can it be? I think we could go further. I mean, he was constantly um, uh, pushing uh, for uh, to see how far we could reach. And as a team, that was just tremendous because I had never been pushed that far ever in my life. I was always the one that was doing the pushing. I was never really pushed that much, you know, from, from uh, other uh, people, other producers, directors. And Kenny Ortega really, truly, um, he, as an artistic director, he um, wanted to make sure that every department, they, the, um, from all aspects, from from the sides of of from um, the dancers, 
um, all the performers on the land and performers on the ice. And then you had, you had animals. We had animals in the, in the, in the American West section. And I mean, everything, uh, there was so many parts to it and it all had to, um, to create this common story and these common, uh, visions uh, to bring the stories to life and uh, uh, a fine very fine tooth comb every day and and cameras 40 cameras you knew it was going to be seen by uh, live um, live in the stadium but it was also going to be seen um, globally and with through 40 cameras How, you know where where are we where are we going to look at it from and and how do we bring make the focus uh, universal? All right. Wow. So you got you've got Kenny Ortega. You got Don Mister saying we're going to push it, push it, and he was really pushing you. What were some examples of things that were just really cool? You mentioned the animals; those those were pretty cool, but were particularly challenging to do. And you you were just left scratching your head. Well, how am I going to figure out how to do this? What they're asking, and were there any uh, instances where they were looking to do something and it just could not be done because it was too complicated or it was too expensive or too risky? Um, well, I think probably the, the first uh, hurdle I had was um, Peter Minchel uh, was the creator of the costume structures that were used in uh, the fire within a opening production. And these were ice shards that were made out of steel and they were really heavy. And um, they were, it was like, you know, we talked about Calder, Calder, the, uh, the, the sculptor, and uh, we, we wanted to skate like a Calder mobile kind of thing. And there, there's, there are these icicle structures, which look like they're weigh nothing, but they weigh a lot, a lot, a lot. And um, I thought, my gosh, I, I mean, you need, I mean, you need really strong, strong uh, men to carry, to skate with these. And and then how much control are you going to have? And, um, and they were so tall that any building that we went into, it was very difficult to find a building that was tall enough that you could you could build it because uh, you know they brought in all the parts and then 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 they built it and then i had to put it on a skater and then we had to figure out how it was going to move and you gotta not hit the ceiling <laughs> in the building <laughs> so um that was probably that was the first the first hurdle and then and then they wanted to create these um ice and snow uh, they were ice and snow crystals. Some were silver and some were white. And there was um, a complete circle and you looked like a giant potato chip. But inside the skater was um, clamped in at the, at, the, at the waist and also at the ankles. And skaters having um, restraints on their, their ankles, that's very difficult if not dangerous. Because if you fall, you can't get up you know and then and then the zipper was in in the back 
which um, I had to get changed to be in the front because there was no way uh, a person, if something happened, they could get out of it. And um, so there was that unique combination of creativity and then um, survival. And then what can we do to bring this shape to life and, and then safety. <laughs> the whole balance of with safety because um, you know can't afford to any that anybody should should fall down or, or, or you know have a have a bad uh, experience um, so those were that was those were the first um, uh, experiences of adjusting I had and um, and then when we went to do the, uh, when we were creating the uh, America West piece, um, Jeremy, Jeremy Railton was the art director and he was creating, um, oh, he created a beautiful town, a, a town that would cover the whole ice and they were, it was going to be collapsible. So it was going to be built and then it would collapse and then skate off, you know, kind of like doing the halftime show. <laughs> only alive uh, in front of your eyes and not cut to commercial <laughs> kind of thing and um we all loved it and don you know everybody loved it except that the it was going to be very expensive and um and then just getting the parts on and getting the parts off and then and making it continually seamless it just just didn't seem like it was going to work and so they threw it out they threw it out and Kenny, Kenny came up with the idea of having um, the trains, the two trains meet at Promontory Point. Um, uh, they would be come through the audience and he got soccer teams, <laughs> soccer teams to run them down the stairs. It was very steep. Rice Eccles Stadium was very steep and narrow. The stairway was narrow. So it was very tricky to maneuver this. It was like a puppet, like a giant puppet, except it was maybe um, 30 people long at least, maybe even more. Uh, but they, they came from the top of the stadium and they ran it down to the floor, onto the ice and, and met in the center. And then the, the golden spike was a fireworks that popped up. So that's what, what, what replaced the uh, giant city. Wow, it's so interesting to get all these really, really incredible insights on how these things come to pass and how they come, uh, how you turn them into reality. And one thing you mentioned there about the stadium, that's an outdoor stadium. You know, some of these things that you do are indoors, but uh, uh, with the opening ceremony of the 2002 games, they were outdoors. So did you face any particular challenges having to do this in an outdoor setting? You know, it was the most amazing day uh, was for me was day one <laughs> day one in in rice eccles because it was a snowstorm it was in the middle of a snowstorm it was day one and jeff bennett well, one of the producers he was going back and forth with it with a whole team of, of volunteers with snow shovels and they're going back and forth and back and forth because the ice was humongous i mean it was like a hundred 80 feet round, you know, in, in, the, in the center stage. And, um, and I thought to myself, well, how much 
does it have to snow before I cancel the rehearsal? <laughs> I thought, you know, because there's nothing over your head, absolutely nothing over your head. So it's it's heavenly. It's it's godly. It's just beyond the beyond. It touch, does touch your soul that you would be rehearsing, creating, and and coming together under under the sky. <laughs> you know. But it snowed and snowed and snowed, and um, um, we, everybody was gathered there for the first rehearsal, but we, we ended up having to cancel because it was impossible. They could not keep up with the shoveling and, and uh, having, having skaters actually come out on the ice. Uh, we had previously rehearsed um, in, at the Steiner Rink in downtown Salt Lake, and um, the dimensions uh, 100 by 200 was only half, half the dimension of of the uh, of the ice stage in Rice Eccles. But I had to figure out how to do it. I had to rehearse somewhere. I couldn't. Uh, I started to rehearse on November 2nd, and it was. I had a whole month of rehearsal before we got on to. Um, uh, into bicycles. I had a little over a month rehearsal, um, and so I would rehearse half, half the scene, <laughs> and then rehearse the other half of the scene. And then I knew that one day I would put them together <laughs> on the uh, on the bicycles uh, stadium stage, um, and that was a real Rubik cube. Uh, but it worked. It all worked. I mean, I worked with children, hundreds and hundreds of children uh, that way, and I drew the drew the pattern. We drew the pattern on the ice of what they were going to take, and then I had to explain that this was only half half the shape, and there was going to be a whole bunch, like a mirror image on the other side, you know. And it was you just didn't know if you were, you know, reaching reaching them <laughs> but you just did it over and over and over and over and over again and you just had to trust you just had to trust and hope so when did the stage finally get installed there at rice Eccles so you could actually have a full rehearsal on the entire sheet of ice i think we were in about um december uh december 8th or something like that. About a little less than two months to do all of your rehearsals and, and, and practice and everything. Yeah, you know, people's lives were out, uprooted. Those, all those people in, in the Salt Lake community, they, they, you know, they were volunteers and they, they had lives and they had Christmas, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they had, uh, uh, they had jobs, they had jobs and, and they had to, uh, they had to take leaves of absences or, or, or skip a rehearsal. We were in a constant state of juggling because so-and-so can't come to town, uh, come today, and so-and-so can come today. And I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of people that um, we had to coordinate um, their appearance for a rehearsal. And you can't do it without rehearsal. So um, that was, really an extremely uh, challenging circumstance but gosh um, I think the volunteers that they, they they fell in love with the process and wanting to be part of it and so they really gave 
gave us their time. They gave us their time and they made sacrifices. And uh, some people even lost jobs because they wanted to be part of it and couldn't be part of it if they were working full time. And I mean, it was, it really touched us how, how far people went to, to be a part of this production. All right, well, give us a sense of the scale. You've talked about hundreds and hundreds of people, but ultimately uh, the production, I mean, how many cast members did you end up having? How long was the program? I mean, how much did you end up having to choreograph? Because it's not like it's a, a 40 second spot, right? I mean, these these ceremonies productions are extensive, right? So, mm-hmm. so you know, and how much, uh, how many people? How long was the program? What was the scale of the production you were looking at? Well, the um, the opening production, um, I had about so, uh, a little over a thousand people, uh, skaters, skaters. I just stripped the community of anybody that could skate forward and stop. Stopping was very important. I went in there and in uh, to when with the auditions with with all these, you know high uh, expectations of, you know, I put them through a, a, uh, a obstacle course and, uh, you know, can you go forward? Can you go backwards? Can you turn? Can you spin? What can you do? And then I realized very quickly that the most important thing I could ask is, can you stop? Because <laughs> if you can't stop, we have a huge train wreck. <laughs> so I quickly came down to earth. With that, but um, I had um, 400 children and thousand skaters, and uh, I felt like I met the whole community. It was aunts and uncles and grandmas and uh, and grandmas and grandpas and that uh, whole families came out for it. You know, um, it was it was really really neat, and you started you started to get to know the families. <laughs> Because <laughs> this family's in this number, this family's in that number. And, uh, uh, I think that the uh, America, the Fire Within opening production and the um, uh, America West piece um, were the most intricate and largest um, cast uh, on the ice, you know, not to mention all the dancers. Um, on on the floor stage that was around, which was in itself uh, had its own complexity, but um, um, it really it was um, might we it, in the America West piece we worked with Michael Curry who was the uh, designer of of the huge um, uh, pop. Uh, puppets, I guess you'd call them puppets. They were just so large, like the buffalo, and there was horses, and there were moose, and there were it's a big bear, and there were fish, and we had, I mean, and it was all done to a soundscape. So this was a, an instance where um, it wasn't, you know, music with counts of eight, it was a soundscape. So when you hear the, the rattle of the snake, that's when the grass had to turn around and go left. <laughs> You know, when the beaver splatted its tail, then you knew it was time for the for the grass to part and snake to come in, you know, kind of thing. And so people had really different kind of cues 
for that. Um, uh, musically, um, it was it was a soundscape, as Michael Curry would say, it's a soundscape. So uh, as a choreographer, that was something really different for me to work with. And then um, I'm going off, off off on a tangent here, but but um, in creating the music uh, with uh, Michael Kamen for the opening Fire Within production, um, which was in a, a totally original symphonic piece that he, he created, um, Kenny would say to me, okay, how long do we want to see the Ice Warriors? And we sat there, we closed our eyes and he had a stopwatch. And he said, okay, let's go. And so we would just imagine, how long do we want to see <laughs> the Ice Warriors? And I thought, huh, okay, I can do this. <laughs> I'm making, you know, just feeling it, feeling the time frame, 35 seconds. Okay, 35 seconds. That's good. Well, we'll, we'll so, so we're going to tell them we, at this point in the music, we want the Ice Warriors to come in for about 35 seconds. And then... And then uh, the turbulence is going to come in. How long do we want to see that? And and so we built the music from uh, from the uh, visual themes that we wanted to see and when we wanted to see it. So we choreographed it really, in essence, um, I choreographed it to time, to timings, and and to visuals, and uh, and I did whole sequences of. Of, of choreography and movement without ever hearing a beat of music and then <laughs> then he he said he he sends in the music and they okay 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 so this must be them and this must be <laughs> it was just it was it was all backwards for me but um, but I remember speaking with Don Misher about it and he said well you know Twilight Art when I, he, she, he worked with Twyla Tharp on Barishnikov, um on Broadway, the television special. And he said, she's all about math. She knows exactly how long, how many counts of eight and, 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 and when she wants to see it. And it's all done. It's all math for her. Really? How interesting. You know, so it was not new to, to Don Mischer. But it was definitely new to me, and um, and going to uh, Michael Kamen's house in Los Angeles, and and having him play the theme, you know that haunting, haunting uh, vocal theme of the of the young boy um, singing in that um, Fire Within piece. He played it on his um, he played the theme on his grand piano, and then we went into his studio, and 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 he uh, pulled up how it would sound with orchestration. And, and he said, you know, I'm just, I'm really a romantic. He said, that's what I am. I'm a romantic composer and I, I, I have to have, um, have that connection, romantic connection with, with a piece before I create it. And um, I'll never forget it. Oh my gosh, that process is, is so incredible to just listen to you describe the process, how how the the music and the and the choreography were co-created rather than one preceding the other. That to me just sounds incredible. 
And I want to go to opening ceremonies night. So you've done all of this work and you've you spent countless hours preparing and mapping out the choreography and teaching people the choreography and rehearsing. And then it's showtime. So what is opening ceremonies night like for you? It was really, um, we were very well prepared. I thought, I felt like, I remember Jeff Bennett uh, coming to me and said, well, how much lead time do you really need to rehearse this? Oh my God, he's asking me this question. <laughs> how much lead time do I really need? And I thought, well, you know, I, I felt like, because he, he questioned whether I should start in October with the volunteers. And I said, no, that's overkill. I actually said no. And I thought, oh God, am I gonna eat my words? But um, no, I thought November, beginning of November, a month, and then get in the stadium and you've got Christmas in there and New Year's in there. And I thought, well, no, I, I so I really felt, and I was really um, pleased that I really felt that everyone was well prepared. Everybody knew their parts. Um, it was such a complex production, even even to the extent of the choreography backstage, where all those people you have to hold them somewhere. They, they were all kept at the um, all the performers were were in the tennis center, which was like a, a, a bus ride away, and then and then they were brought in uh, to time. They were brought in takes so many minutes to get get there we're going to park then they they go into these tents and they get um changed in the tents and then they and then just the um alleyways of the uh entrance to the ice um you know the long one was was uh, 120 feet long 120 feet long on the on the one end and the others were i think 80 feet long um, uh, on the left and right of, of the stage. Um, and so you had to back time <laughs> getting the people onto the, into the main surface so that they could hit their their choreography because the choreography didn't wasn't going to be seen until they were on the main stage, which was the circle. So um, I mean, all that stuff had to be uh, rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. And um, we did the special performance for all the all the people that, all the volunteers for their families. And that was the day prior to opening. And so that was our our first, first tingles. And they, they got to have, you know, um, not the f exactly the full look, but pretty, pretty close pretty close because that was that uh, was the test that was the big test is how how it was going to go so that was a good good indication um, that we were ready and then so on the day of um, and I was up in the booth way 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 up tall um, up high on down on the downstage and and everybody was about you know quarter of an inch big <laughs> Everybody was really small, <laughs> and I, I said to uh, Kenny, I said, "Gosh, you know, 
this I'm only going to pass this way once in my life is there any way I could get down to the floor because my husband was sitting in the audience can I sit with him just for the opening production the fire within production which was for me the culmination of my whole career my whole uh, career of of doing um, ice shows for big arenas star shows for like champions on ice stars on ice and um, TV shows um, as TV specials and and stage shows ice stage shows that my whole career was all culminated in this one production because I used all of my uh, experience from my life in that one first production so it really meant a lot to me to get to be able to to experience it like an audience member so he let me go down and I went down and I got to experience that first production as an audience member I just when those lights so the lights went up the up the uh, audience uh, I mean everybody talked about oh, and the child of light is going to pass the light to all the other children and then they're going to line line the circle and then they're going to pass it walk up through the audience and pass the light all the way up I thought you know we all thought oh yeah 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 but oh my god when it actually happened I just I couldn't believe it it was just amazing I was so proud I was so proud of every single volunteer behind and in front of the stage it was it really was such a collaborative of effort of what you could you needed every single person to do their part wow it sounds incredible was that your goosebump moment of the games then sitting there and watching the opening ceremonies with your husband unfold yes and when the when the lights went up all the the, the lights all turned up up through the top to the top of the audience it was it was my first big goosebump yeah. and my other i have to t- share the my other big goosebump moment was um, making the rings because knowing how offhandedly I had said, oh, we could do the rings. <laughs> All you need is a stick. I said, you need a metal pole and a string and a, and a skater with a gas can and, and, and a skater with the metal pole. And then you skate the circle like a, like a human compass. That's all you need. You need five of those. So there's 10 people. 10 people are going to do it. And so I picked, you know, t- 10, of, 10 of my best pros that I, I was allowed to have um, an honorarium, 50 uh, professional performers, skaters. And um, so I, uh, I picked my very reliable 10. And, and we had rehearsed it like four times only in the middle of the night because it was a secret. And because they couldn't decide whether they wanted the rings to face the cauldron or whether they wanted the rings to face the VIP section. So we had to see it a couple different ways. Um, so they got to do it physically like four times. And then they got to do it. And, and we all knew, we all knew that um, as easy as it sounded, it had to be perfect. We had to lay the gasoline down perfectly and get out. And then the wind had to co- cooperate because the wind, when it, um, I had a, a, a stunt uh, fire specialist skater Eddie Valen and he did the um, uh, traveling stars which is an actual skating move and he, he did them all the way through uh, with fire on his blades he he ignited the rings by by skating this skating move 
through the rings. And he said, you know, it, the wind, any small amount of wind can uh, create little tornadoes in the, with the fire. So it's very dangerous because I originally wanted um, Joseph Spodjek to come through and do a backflip and uh, straight through it and have that ignited. But Eddie convinced me, he said, it's just way too dangerous. You just, you just can't um, have Joseph do that. Jo Joseph is an Olympic medalist and he can't do that. He said, I can do it because I know, I work with fire and I know, I, uh, I'll know how to go through it at a steady speed and get out. So I let him, I said, okay, it's your job. It's your job to do that. So, um, so that was my other spot moment. Wow, those are absolutely amazing moments, and I appreciate you sharing them with us. The games end, you know. They just as all the other productions that you do, they 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 have an end, and then you move on to the next thing. So, what was life for you after Slock? I mean, you you've you had this culmination of you felt like okay, this was the biggest moment of my professional career up until now, up until the 2002 uh, games concluded. But what happens next for you? And then coupled with that, you know, one of the questions that I've asked everybody now this year is to share some advice, you know, things that they learned while working in Salt Lake or elsewhere, you know, throughout career that, that have served, I guess, as guiding principles that you think are worthwhile sharing with other people that they could potentially incorporate in their own lives. I think that, you know, it's, I've been very lucky in my career, um, I really am just a kid from Toronto <laughs> who was a pretty good skater. I was never a champion, never, never a big champion. Um, and somehow I, but I, but I loved, I loved skating and I loved what I did. And I was willing to, uh, when opportunity knocked, I've always been willing to walk through the door. And um, I've never been, um, I've never been afraid to take that step. And I think that um, once you walk through the door, you, you just, you try to be, um, to embrace what's on the other side and, and, and I'm like a little puppy dog, like, how do I, how do we, what do we do now? <laughs> what, what are we going to do together now? Uh, I've always been kind of that way, and it's, it's really, uh, uh, it's never uh, steered me wrong. Um, so I would, I would, uh, I would say just don't, don't be afraid to, to try the unexpected. Um, because that's where you you have discovery and you learn so much about yourself and and also uh, working with the community was something that I had never experienced before and that has really changed uh, my life and how I uh, uh, meet people work with people uh, embrace people it's really enriched my life um, tremendously so I would if you get a chance, if you 
if you if the opportunity knocks and you get chances, you walk through that door and just try to embrace it all as it, as it comes at you and and um, and learn and take it with you, pass it on. Well, that's fantastic advice, and I really appreciate you sharing it. Who knows, one day we might host these games again here in Salt Lake City, and uh, there might be another opportunity to light the fire within. It would be so exciting. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure of mine. I did have a fun uh, ex- experience, uh, uh, I mean, an unexpected experience with... Um, I do workshops from time to time, uh, creative workshops. And I went up to Salt Lake to do a creative workshop and at this Steiner Arena, oddly enough. And um, I asked for an assistant uh, to handle, you know, I was going to be working with children. And um, and this girl um, came up to me and she said, you don't remember me, do you? I mean, she's a, you know, mid-twenties girl. <laughs> no. Uh, I said, well, no. Should I remember you from somewhere? She said, I was one of, I was one of the little uh, girls in the Christy Yamaguchi um, uh, dream for the gold, dreaming for the gold. And, uh, and I had, you know, like I had a mother and a father cast. And then I had, had little girl, little Christy Yamaguchi's at different stages of, of uh, skating life and she was she was one of them and there she was a fully grown <laughs> a fully grown girl so that was really heartwarming that uh, Danielle Endow is her name Endow. and uh, that was that was really fun and then I learned that she had done um, some of my skating productions that I have some of my skating shows that I have on the Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines I shows for, for them and she had already been in one of those casts, but I just never put it together that this was the same little girl <laughs> that was a young Christy Yamaguchi. I, I have to ask it just quickly on the cruise lines. Mm-hmm. Now with COVID, oh, um, it's all shut happened? down. Oh, yeah, it's all shut down. I mean, oh, any we have idea? 14, we have 14 shows on Royal Caribbean cruise lines. We're on the mega ships, and they're beautiful fantasy uh, variety of ice shows. The 50 minutes long, and I'm very proud of them. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, they, everything closed down, totally closed down. Been a whole year, and we tried in December to come back, um, uh, but we brought the kids to one one cast with one cast. We brought uh, to Miami, and everybody had to quarantine for two weeks, and then and then get COVID tested, and then go go on for rehearsal, which would be another three weeks. Um, but they never, CDC uh, uh, closed it down, never let them on. They weren't ready. They weren't ready to, re- to receive. I mean, these are ships that have 6,000 passengers and 3,000 um, uh, workers and uh, uh, it's staff members. And, and it's uh, that's a lot of people to keep safe and in this time. Uh, so... Um, we're not anticipating um, before the spring, if that. So, I mean, it'll be what it is. There's nothing you can do. You know, they're going to have to rewrite. They have to rewrite uh, what the cruise experience is. And I don't know if you've ever been on one, but 
they uh, they have these huge you know buffets and eating areas, and that's a whole big draw for cruisers and, and a lot of entertainment. And we're very lucky. I feel very lucky that uh, there's an ice rink uh, with our our shows, Willie B Tech Production shows, and um, there are there's a high diving high diving um, aqua theater, which have shows in there and then there's a theater uh, a theater that uh, will have a flying show and a Broadway show and a variety show so there's a lot of entertainers um, out of work from from the ships which were their you know it was where their lives were well hopefully we can get the vaccines out and uh, yeah. you know we can build up the immunity that we need so that we can have those experiences together once again. I, hope, I, I think it, you know, at some point there will be, but it's just not as fast as everybody was hoping it to be. Yeah, I understand. I hope I hope it happens uh, sometime this year. Yes, uh, that would be great sometime this year. <laughs> well, Sarah, this has just been an absolute pleasure. I've really, I've really, really had uh, a great time hearing the stories that you've shared. If people want to connect with you on the work you're doing now, the painting and the music or the upcoming choreography for cruise ships or whatever it is, or if they want to just reminisce about Salt Lake 2002, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out and contact you? Um, they can contact me through my Facebook pages. I, I have um, uh, Sarah Kawahara and it's a uh, uh, palette of choreography. and. Um, contact me through there or um i'm on instagram it's kawahara sarah on instagram that's kind of all i do <laughs> hey you got me beat that one for me all right <laughs> sarah it's been a huge amount of fun i really appreciate you taking the time today the day after the 19th anniversary of the opening ceremony of those salt lake 2002 games Thank you again. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast. We'll catch you again soon. Sarah, thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Christian.